Thank you, worship team, for getting us ready, thinking, and prepared for our communion this morning. We will uh, receive communion uh, together. We typically do that at the beginning of the year, last Sunday. If uh, you were here, we didn't do that because of it being New Year's Day. We only had a single service at 10 o'clock, so we decided to push that to the 8th. So I'm glad you're here today because it is an important opportunity for us to get ready for 2023 with all that it holds. Um, what we want to do is prepare in the right way. And what better way to do that uh, than to have communion together, to be reminded of exactly what we just sang about. We, I realize, just celebrated the birth of this little baby, but as we'll read in Matthew, uh, Matthew spends two chapters on that, and by chapter 3, which we'll be looking at today, Jesus is already about 30 years old, and so we kind of fast-forward some things. And this song really is kind of conveying what the message is in Jesus' baptism as well, which is what we'll share today. And really, Jesus' purpose and mission uh, of coming to this earth, of, of being born, of uh, why God sent him. And so we want to focus on that this morning. And, and I want to do that with us in a way that helps us think about uh, 2023, in a way that helps us think about where we've come from, and where we're going. And I think what John the Baptist has to say as he's preparing the way for the Messiah, uh, I think it's important for us to know too as we get ready to approach 2023 with all its ups and downs, twists and turns, as we know is going to happen. A great way to start that is being reminded of these important truths about Jesus. What better way to do that than come together on a Sunday morning in a worship service. I've said this before and think about it all the time. There's few places that you go and you get with a group in a room like this and you all just start singing. There's not a whole lot of places that that happens, yet we do that here together. And some of us are better at it than others. I'm on the not so good side of things, so I'm glad I'm up here and they're playing loud enough that they can't hear me. But we're coming together and we're singing about something. What is it we're singing about? Well, in this song, we're singing about this amazing thing that God has done. Thinking about how do we arrest death? Thinking about what it is that Jesus has done. I can't think of a better way to start a year uh, than thinking about life with Jesus. So I want to share... Uh, message this morning out of Matthew. Um, that's kind of where we're going to be hanging out for a while uh, in the new year. I, I did this in the book of John, and it's always fun to go through a gospel. I enjoy it. And uh, so we're going to do that in Matthew, and we're going to talk about life with Jesus. We're actually going to literally read about life with Jesus. The disciples, those lucky guys, got to do that with Jesus. They literally spent life with Jesus. And others in the first century, we will meet uh, many of them as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. But what does that mean for, what does life with Jesus mean now for us? We are still trying to live life with Jesus. So how does it translate when he's not walking around with us? 
So my hope is, my prayer is that Matthew's going to help us see that. What does life with Jesus look like? Uh, before we do that, I just want to uh, pray ahead of time uh, for the message today, but also just for, um, there's been a lot of sickness and illness. We prayed about that last week, and uh, I know a lot of people have been dealing with colds, flu-like symptoms, viral infections, stomach bugs. It's just running the gamut right now, and so we want to make sure we're praying for uh, people here at Grace and those who I know are, are sick, and maybe you've got some in your family experiencing that as well. Also, just want to share that uh, next week, Bishop Randy Sizemore is going to be here. Um, he was recently elected bishop of our denomination in this past May, and he's going to be kind of sharing uh, what he desires to see within the EC Church, that we become a movement of God. And I know he's been sharing this other places and is really passionate about seeing the EC Church be a movement of God, uh, being on mission with God and faithful to that mission of sharing with the world what it is God has done through his son Jesus. So he's going to be here and do that because if you would be in prayer for David and I this coming week, we have Pastoral Assessment Center and uh, David will be going as an assessee. Uh, as he walks into credentialing in the EC denomination, and I'll be going as an assessor, and there'll be other people that sense a call to ministry. These are all uh, men, husbands, and wives that are sensing this call into ministry, and uh, we bring him to this assessment center to hear that call, to uh, do some different things with them as they kind of discern what is God doing in our life. So, We'll be doing that this coming week, so your prayers are appreciated with that. And then Randy will be here on the 15th. We'll observe our Sanctity of Human Life Sunday on the 22nd in our, both of our services. That's our day to um, focus in on the value and worth of life and the value and worth of life because God gave it to us. Every human being being an image bearer, we always try and highlight our local crisis pregnancy center, Jewel Women's Center, on that Sunday as well. And so we want to do that on the 22nd. Uh, and so before we get into uh, the Word, just want to offer a prayer for our time together and for what God has in store for us in the future as well. So let's just share in a word of prayer. God, thankful that we can come here this morning as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, gather in this place, Lord, uh, not fearing persecution as many of our brothers and sisters around the world have to do when they gather as the church, uh, professing the name of Jesus. And so we're thankful, Lord, for the freedom we have to do that, uh, for this place that we have to do that, to come. Uh, but we know, Lord God, that the church is not this building, but it's all of us, and I'm thankful uh, for the church family here that cares and loves one another and the way that they've been trying to do that with a number of people just being sick and having to fill in for others and step up for others, Lord, I'm so appreciative of that and just pray for uh, continued health and strength in their lives, Lord, those who are experiencing the sicknesses of winter, but those who are also experiencing other physical illnesses and just specifically want to pray for uh, Nick Wagner, Jamie's son, who had his appendix out, and 
Uh, just uh, thankful for the surgery that went well with that. Just pray for his continued recovery. I pray for uh, Terry Patenti, who had a gallbladder attack this past week and now is going to be needing surgery on Tuesday. We just lift her up to you as well, Lord, and, and Jim, um, as uh, they go for that surgery, be with the doctors, the surgeon, the nurses caring for her, and, and be with Jim as he uh, cares for her when she gets home. Lord, I just too also pray for those here this morning, Lord, that are dealing with things that aren't necessarily physical, uh, but spiritual, maybe emotional, uh, maybe financial, Lord, things that we don't all just see, things that kind of go unnoticed. Uh, when we walk into this place, Lord God, uh, we don't know if anybody knows. We don't know if anybody cares. I'm thankful, Lord God, that you do and that a church family does care. And so through our prayer time, Lord, this morning, we just want to help shoulder some of those burdens in whatever way uh, that we can through the power of your spirit. Thankful, Lord God, that you haven't left us alone in this world, but you have given us your spirit. And so, God, we pray that he would continue to work and move in our lives, work and move in uh, Grace Church, Lord, and work and move in uh, men and women who are called into full-time ministry in some way. I had the pleasure of talking with a young lady who is called to Jordan as a missionary, and so uh, just thankful, Lord God, that that call is still happening. You aren't finished working. And so thankful for that call you've placed on David's life and pray for our pastoral assessment center for all of those coming there, Lord, trying to discern that call, all of those who will be there as assessors, Lord, and we just lift that time up to you as well. And God, just pray that you'd continue to guide and direct us as a church to be on mission with you, faithful to what you have called us to, help us to have the courage and boldness to live that out in this world, in our public lives, within our families, our workplaces, the sports teams, Lord, our friend groups, wherever it is you plan us, Lord God, help us to live for you, Lord. I pray as we open your word to Matthew and prepare our hearts uh, to receive communion, this bread and this cup that reminds us of your amazing grace through Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, if you were here last week, we already started in the book of Matthew in chapter 1 and 2, and we got the beginning story, uh, Jesus' lineage, Matthew's little brief take on the birth of Jesus, and then as we talked about last week, these magi that came, these people who were not Jews that came uh, to worship, to give gifts, to recognize this, this king that uh, was born. And then they're fleeing to Egypt and then coming back. And so Matthew fast forwards very quickly to what we'll be reading about, Jesus' baptism. And so here's where scholars believe Jesus was about 30 years old because you didn't, as a Jew who was going to start public ministry, start that before you had turned 30. So there's a lot that happened that we don't really know about. In Jesus' life, it's probably better uh, that we didn't because you'd think you're a horrible parent because your kid didn't act like Jesus did uh, when he was growing up. There's only one story that's in another gospel about Jesus being in the temple and, again, kind of conveying who he was to his mother and father and to the people that were there about being about his father's business. And so now we're 
uh, at G- with Jesus as he's an adult. And as we walk through Matthew, we're going to see what life with Jesus looks like. As I said, literally with the disciples, but what does life with Jesus look like for us as well? Living in the 21st century, 2023, and also just using this passage to convey what it means that Jesus has come. Because Jesus came for a reason, and Matthew's going to show us that reason. Communion's going to remind us uh, in a very physical way when we eat this bread, when we drink this juice. It's not wine here if you were looking forward to some wine. It's, it's Welch's grape juice, so just so you know, that you're not disappointed when you drink it. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 16 records Jesus' baptism, and we're introduced to a guy named John the Baptist. Um, I'm now I'm trying to remember the joke that Lily told me. Tell me it again, Lily. Yes, what do John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? And the answer is? They both love honey, and they both have the middle name, the. Winnie the Pooh, John the Baptist. That's, I guess that's pastor's house humor. We like to keep it clean. So that's what we do. But we get uh, just a brief picture of this guy who is preparing the way of the Messiah. But he says something here that's, I think, super important for us to remember to think about, really, as we just came through one year and we're headed into another year and different traditions do different things, but many follow a church calendar. They've been doing it for centuries, really, following a church calendar, and this is the beginning of the church calendar. Jesus' birth, uh, depending on what tradition you grew up in, Epiphany, uh, January 6th. Uh, In Orthodox churches, they celebrate Christmas on the 7th, uh, and they call it Theophany. They don't call it Epiphany, but this is like the beginning, this fresh start. And now the church calendar starts moving towards, of course, Easter, and then what happens after that. And then we kind of get back to preparing for the birth of Jesus, and it starts all over again. And so this is a good way to start our year. We always start the year with communion. And again, I think John the Baptist is going to highlight something for us as we prepare for communion uh, that helps us to reflect, remember. And there's things that we do that we do like coming together and singing together. We don't do everywhere. We don't get in groups and do that kind of thing. We don't have communion everywhere, get in groups and do this kind of thing. There's, There's certain things that the church provides us as followers of Jesus living in this world. And communion is one of those things where God is seeking to once again remind us, impart His grace to us, make things fresh. This new life begins because of what Jesus did. So John the Baptist is a powerful preacher. People are coming to see him from all over. Coming out to where he is at the Jordan River to hear his message. That's why they were coming. He wasn't doing anything 
magical. There was no record of any miracles that he had performed. He is simply preaching in the power of God, and people are coming to hear about it, and this is what he has to say to them. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, in the other Gospels, you might hear it say, they might say, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. They're saying the same thing, trying to convey the same truth. Um, This has some Jewish overtones to it because scholars believe Matthew's Gospel was written primarily to a Jewish audience. Now, I don't have it up here on the screen, but if you opened your Bibles, you'll see that verse 3 is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. And it talks about this one who is going to come and prepare the way. Well, everybody reading that knew this preparing the way, that quotation is all about the Messiah. When God launches the messianic age, the Messiah is going to come and rule and reign. So Matthew quotes that. And then Matthew gives us um, a verse or two about his John the Baptist's wardrobe. Like, why do we care what John the Baptist is wearing? We can read that he's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt around the waist. I I don't know that that was the fad for the day. He liked honey, as uh, was pointed out in that little riddle. His food was locusts, yummy, and wild honey. I'm guessing he put the honey on the locust and then ate it. Why is he giving us this information? Why is uh, Matthew telling us what John decided to put on that day? Obviously, John, I'm not sure that he was married. No wife lets you walk out of the house like that. I don't know how you guys are, but when I got married, I stopped dressing myself because it wasn't good, according to my wife, and so I didn't dress myself. And so here this guy is wearing weird stuff, eating weird stuff. Why does Matthew include that? Again, if you are a Jewish audience... There's things that are coming back to you. You memorized, if you were a Jew, a lot of the Old Testament. And when you hear somebody that's come, that's wearing what he's wearing, eating what he's earing, you're thinking of all the stories you heard when you were a little boy or a little girl about Elijah. And that means something, because when Elijah comes back, you know God's doing some big things. God's changing something, this This Messiah is actually going to be here. And so we hear references made to John the Baptist, but people are like, wait a second, I thought that was about Elijah. And so John the Baptist is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's not far off anymore. It is right on us. You're literally going to watch it. Jesus The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God embodied in him is now going to be walking among us. And so what John tells everybody to do is repent. Because that meant something when the kingdom of heaven was coming near. And so this powerful message that he's preaching, where people are just flocking, are hearing these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what does that mean? What is John telling them to do? Repentance, repent is a church word. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard it. Maybe you don't really know what it means. 
John using that word is taking some Greek and some of the Hebrew and he's putting it together and he's basically saying this. He is telling people that they are in need of a radical transformation of their life. It is so radical, it's so fundamental to who we are that we begin thinking differently and we begin acting differently and it changes us. And what we actually read as we go through Matthew is what that radical transformation looks like. You're going to hear it a little bit later, but something like, love your enemies, Jesus will say. When people insult you, pray for them. When people smack you across the face, give them your, give them your other cheek as well. That's pretty radical, Jesus. John is saying we need to turn away from whatever life we were living apart from what God's desire is, God's will is, and turn towards Jesus. It's not simply, I'm sorry for what I did. That's not what repentance means. It's not just feeling bad about it, feeling sorry for it. There are, as the commentator that I was reading gave this definition, used the word including overtones of grief. There is like this sadness to you, this grief over what life looked like. Apart from Jesus, what life looked like when you didn't repent of your sin, maybe that was you, it certainly was me. I can think about that radical transformation in my own life and the grief I've had over my life before I was following Jesus. I can remember walking around with guys that didn't know Jesus, didn't grow up in the church, and my life didn't look any different than theirs. And they wondered, so what makes you different, Ted, about being a Christian? Why are you different? They asked me that question. I didn't have an answer for them. I couldn't tell them because nothing was different about it. And I had grief over that, but that grief simply turned me towards this change in who I was. John is talking about a change that has to take place. This confession of sin that leads to repentance because we know we haven't always pleased God in the way that we should. So Matthew didn't say it, but if you read in John's gospel, when John's talking about John the Baptist, you'll read in verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognizes that Jesus is going to do something big. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus has come, and he's come for a reason. Because there's this sin that we have to deal with. This rebellion to God and his ways that we have to deal with. How are we going to deal with that? How do we recognize that in our own life? John is basically preaching that message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you're going to read uh, in John, I don't have it up here for you, but you're going to read why he is saying this, and I'll explain it in, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, but you're going to read him explain it specifically to some religious leaders. He's talking about this repentance in verse 1 and 2, um, and he's saying that in verse 5, that people went out from Jerusalem, Judea, the whole region, 
confessing their sins and being baptized in the Jordan River. And then a group of people, it says the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders, the really righteous people of the day, they come out to check out what's going on. They want to see what John's doing and what John's saying. They want to see what's, what, what's happening out here. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about why it was important that we didn't connect what we think and believe about Jesus as a Jew to your lineage. You're going to hear that again. The fact that you grew up in church your whole life, the fact that you know God, like I know about him. Matthew was pointing out that God and being in God's family had everything to do with what we think and believe about Jesus. And so these religious leaders, these really righteous people in their eyes come out to see what's going on. And John looks, I could see John looking at him. He's addressing them specifically. And he says, you brood of vipers. That's what he calls them. Again, it's an Old Testament theme saying there's nothing but poison coming out of your mouth. And he says, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It's not about how you trace your lineage. Now, again, think about it. Matthew's writing to a very Jewish audience here. It's not about how you can trace your lineage back to Abraham. Because, in fact, God can make these stones in the riverbed. He can make them into children if he wanted them to be his children. And he's preparing that. Who is it all about? If it's not about Abraham, who is it about? Well, we're going to find that out in verse 13 through 17. But John the Baptist tells them, this is why confession of sin and repentance is so important in John's message. Because the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The reality is, Repentance and confession of faith or sin is needed because of what the kingdom coming near means. The kingdom has come near. God is coming to judge the earth in sin and righteousness. If you were here, you sang joy to the world, and that's what we sing. That God is going to judge the earth for sin and righteousness. And John is preaching a message that's telling us, the Bible's telling us this message all over the place. And if I'm honest with myself, I can recognize in my own life, there's sin that needs to be dealt with. Jesus is coming to deal with that sin. When John, when John says the kingdom of heaven is near, he is saying the rule and reign of God has come to earth in its fullest manifestation expressed clearly through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because God's rule and reign has come, he's coming to judge what is broken in this world. And what is broken in this world is the sin that separates us from him. That rule and reign is being mediated through Jesus. And 
what you're going to see as we walk through Matthew is how Jesus conveys that rule and reign everywhere he goes. Jesus ultimately will be the judge of all the earth. He is going to judge sin. That's part of his coming. To say that I am going to make all things new. He started doing that. God inaugurated that process when Jesus was born. And Jesus will finish it when he returns. But what happens at Jesus' baptism, which I'll read for you in just a minute, is God conveying to the world that he has come to establish that all of this is mine. All of creation is mine. Everything here is mine. I created it. I made it. I I sustain it, I brought it into existence, and it all belongs to me. I was talking with someone, I said this in first service, and nobody said that, that oh yeah, it was me you were talking to, Ted. Uh, so maybe I was talking to one of you. And there's a lot of brokenness in our world. We see it every day. And sometimes, I said to this person, sometimes I wonder if God's like, Man, why did I say it never flood the earth again? You know how easy this would be? You just hit the switch and poof, there's all the water again. Look how messed up things are. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have flooded the earth. Of course, I'm thinking that, but God did something better than that. He's still going to judge all the world in righteousness, but he's going to do that in a way that provides redemption, that provides restoration, that provides reconciliation, that provides life that will never end, new life in Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, here's what's taking place. It says Jesus came from Galilee, which was a ways walk from the Jordan. Again, all this was happening. John is preaching, confess your sins, repent, be baptized, and experience new life. And Jesus comes from Galilee to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. John knew he was a sinful man. How am I going to baptize you? That's what he says. I need to be baptized by you, John says. And you come to me to do this? And Jesus says... Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knew that this was part of God's mission, God's plan. What God had started, his story of redemption, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, this family, and he begins writing this story. And we get to this moment where Jesus He's going to be baptized, and John's like, no, I, I shouldn't do this. Jesus says, this is God's plan. God is going to fulfill all righteousness through this. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at the moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. 
Out of the silence, God speaks. God's voice breaks the silence of 400 years and inaugurates this new age. 400 years prior to all of this that was taking place, they hadn't heard a word from God. The prophet stopped saying, thus saith the Lord. And all of a sudden, this voice opens up. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, whether it was an actual dove, whether it was like a dove, however it happened, scholars debate. But we see God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present in this moment, speaking after 400 years, inaugurating this messianic age where Jesus brings the rule and reign of God to earth itself. Demonstrates his willingness to suffer and die. Remember reading about Jesus in the garden in Gethsemane where he prays, not my will, but your will be done. This was part of God's plan of salvation. Jesus willingly submits to baptism. There was no sin Jesus needed to confess. There was no reason for him to be baptized. Except that this was part of God's plan. And he willingly shows, I'm obedient to this plan. That plan that would take Jesus to a cross. To accomplish redemption. In obedience to God's will. Jesus was showing that he was bringing God's rule and reign on earth. And so when we follow Jesus, when, when the disciples are with Jesus, life with Jesus looks like God's reign coming. When Jesus tells the storm to be quiet and it obeys, God's rule and reign is over all of creation. When that person who was born blind can't see or couldn't walk from birth and Jesus tells them to get up and touches them and they can see. Jesus is bringing the rule and reign of God on earth. When disease is no more. When that person who's possessed by Satan and his demons seem to have rule all over this planet and so many horrible things are happening and, and that person's possessed and that kid just throws himself down on the fire and Jesus says, get out of him. Satan, you have no place here anymore. God's rule and reign is revealed. And when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, they put him in that tomb. Jesus says, get up, come on out of here, Lazarus. God's rule and reign is revealed. Jesus is bringing it with everything that he does. And he offers that same life to us. He offers that same story to us. See, what Jesus did at his baptism was identify with sinful mankind, not because he was sinful, but because he would take the sin of the world upon himself. There was no need for Jesus to confess and repent of any sin. But when Isaiah talks about this suffering servant, he talks about him being identified with the sinners, with the criminals. 
Because on that cross, Jesus took my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. So when we look back at 2022, we can see there's ways in which John's message applies to us now. Confess your sin, repent, and believe who Jesus is. And we all need to do that. Starting the new year this way is a good opportunity for us to do that. That confession of sin, that repentance and turning from it, gives us new life. Because when it seemed like God's rule and reign had ended, when death had taken Jesus, he was in that tomb. I guess God lost. Obviously, we know as the church, God didn't lose. God marked his rule and reign on that Easter morning when Jesus arose. Jesus offers us that life, that new life that comes in his name. Communion really is all about that. Because at communion, we're reminded that this new life that's offered in Jesus' name comes at a great cost to himself. It comes because the weight of sin was poured out on him. And so when it feels like the world is winning, when it feels like God's rule and reign isn't happening in my own life, when I start feeling those chains getting tighter and I can't move, when I start feeling that burden getting heavier and I can't lift it off of myself, when I see all those marks against me and all those accusations on that chalkboard, communion reminds us that Jesus breaks those chains, that Jesus actually takes that burden upon himself, that Jesus actually wipes that slate clean. Not because we've merited it, but because of his grace, because of his mercy. Because I recognize that Ted's sin put him on that cross. And I recognize that I need to confess that sin, turn from it, and find that new life in his name. What better way to do that as a church than have communion together? There's stuff in our life that we know God wouldn't be happy with. If John walked in here today and said, confess and repent, we all know we could do that. John's offering that to us now. John's telling us we can do that now. And instead of experiencing the judgment that will come, we experience the grace that God gives. There's stuff oftentimes that we deal with in life that are either a result of us or a result of somebody else, but that really weighs us down. And sin has a way of doing that. And communion has a way of lifting that off. Because when we take this bread, Jesus' broken body, when we take this cup, Jesus' shed blood, we realize in a very physical way how amazing God's grace is. And actually, Scripture tells us God loves to lavish 
that grace on us. That's what the scriptures tell us. And so as we begin 2023, I want to give you an opportunity to do that as well. To experience God's grace. To see the sin that's been a part of our life. Confess that to God. Have that radical transformation and start 2023 fresh. That's what communion can be for you this morning. We're going to do that by singing a song together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And we're going to use this song as a way to prepare us um, for receiving communion. And as they come up here, I'm going to ask you to just stand. And I want to offer a prayer for all of us. And when we're done with that prayer, we're going to sing this song together as just an opportunity for us to maybe start 2023 in a different way than we, we did in 2022. That we can start fresh. We can start fresh because of what Jesus did for us. And then we're going to have communion together. You receive communion in the pew. The ushers will bring it to you, but we're going to take the bread together. We're going to drink the cup together as a way, as a body, as the church family, to be reminded of what God has done for us. And then we'll close. And we'll sing about God's amazing grace, and we'll walk out of here. The opportunity to be changed people. So let's share in a word of prayer. God, as we come before you this morning, thankful for the grace that you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ, we recognize that John's message uh, can apply to us, that there's probably sin in our life that we need to confess to you, repentance that needs to happen, because the kingdom of heaven is near, and we know what that means. And so, God, we're thankful this morning that you invite us to do just that, that if we confess our sin to you, you are righteous and just to forgive us our sin. And that rather than experiencing judgment and being condemned, we receive mercy and experience your grace. So God, as we prepare our hearts to receive that once again through this act of communion, as we sing this song, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be working and moving in our midst reminding us of what it means that the Lamb of God has taken the sin of the world upon Himself, that Jesus identified with us so that we might have life in Him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.